Welcome to episode 21 of Parent-Driven Development. My name is Mandy Moore, and I am here with my friend Kaywoo. Hi, I'm Kaywoo, and I am here with my friend Jess. Hey, I'm Jess, and I'm here with my friend Chris. Hi, I'm Chris Sexton, and today we are talking about self-care for parents. So before we go into anything about the self-care, how would we define self-care? I define it as taking care of myself so that I am able to keep my own child alive. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good baseline. (laughs) Until she's 18, and then, oh well. At at which point (laughs) you can stop taking care of yourself. Exactly. (laughs) It's like an 18-year... I often think of a like an image comes to mind when people say self-care of petting a cat. So it's like soothing and not in the opposite direction. Sometimes I would used to do that with our pet cat at home. But I seriously probably think of it as refilling your energy bucket through a variety of mechanisms. I picture it as, well, ideally, and I don't do this, but like in my ideal brain, whenever I think self-care... I picture myself in a spa, and that never happens, but <laughs> but that's what I think. Oh, just massages and... I thought it was funny in the chat before we started this episode, we talked about specifically what are self-care things that aren't, and I think the example was going to the spa. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that's pretty stereotypical, like, oh, well, that's how I recharge, even though for me personally, that sounds horribly anxiety-inducing, and I would hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just what's tuned into my brain and what I think of when I think self-care, which is probably a problem, but that's what comes to my mind. I asked my sister-in-law right before we started this and uh, asked what what self-care was, and uh, her response was very quickly, naps. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a, a great answer. So <laughs> I think that's a good <laughs> default. I want to reprogram myself to think that self-care for me is finding some time and taking a nap. That's a lot better than going to the spa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I've been finding ways to care for the my human body, you know, that makes me more effective in doing everything else I want to do. Uh, I, I need to be really effective in the workplace and like do all that great stuff. And that means I have to allocate time to whatever it is, meditate, eat good food, whatever it is, so that I can be more effective. That works for me. Yeah, kind of like an athlete tuning for their performance or a performer of some kind where your whole, I mean, in those cases of both your physical body as well as your mental health of being prepared to, you know, be able to perform your responsibilities and all that jazz or whatever. I also sometimes think of it in a way, though, as like parenting myself. I need to mom myself in a way where today's self-care is you really got to put the phone away and go to bed at a reasonable hour, even though it's not like the the short-term thing that feels good, but you're going to feel better about this in the morning. And like, that is the real caring for myself. But there are also other times where you have had a tough day, go ahead, stay up late for no real reason. Like you are probably going to regret this a little bit in the morning, but You kind of need this outlet where you can choose to make a bad decision (laughs) in a way. But I totally agree. (laughs) I need to sometimes just be like, you know what? Nope, I'm staying up late and watching this show that's horrible and not helping myself or (laughs) the quality of my life. Because I'm going to get five hours of sleep. That's enough. No, it's not enough. (laughs) 
Yeah. Sometimes I feel what I need is that minor moment of rebellion or agency or, or whatever else it might be that has smaller consequence. And I sort of am choosing between feeling like I have this or indulging in the fantasy that I might have the space to take a nap tomorrow to make up for a late night tonight, even if that's not really real versus just going to bed on time. But I, I think about it a lot now with uh, having learning so much about baby and toddler sleep and being overtired and my son is not a fan of sleeping and just like, we'll really protest it. And we have to stick with it and be like, yep, you are frustrated. You are afraid of missing out. You have so much FOMO, little kid. I get it. It is time to take a nap. You need to do this and staying strong, even though it's not what he is yelling about right then. I've found that since my daughter is older, she's almost 10 this past year or two, I've been really hard on myself and I've been, I feel guilty because it's so not normal what I do. I work part time as an operations manager for a San Francisco based company where there are some East Coasters, but the majority of my work involves dealing with West Coast people. So I totally break up my day and my alarm goes off at seven o'clock in the morning and I go and I wake Maisie up for school. She just eats cereal or grabs a muffin or something like that, and she gets ready. It really only takes her 30 minutes to get ready and get down to the bus. At 7.30, I go back to bed until noon. (laughs) Um, Amazing. And then I get up and I work until 4 o'clock or 4.30, and then I do the whole night stuff with her, dinner, homework, just spending time together. And then when she goes to bed at 8, 8.30, I work until midnight. I love it, but my friends, they don't work in the tech field, but it works for me so well. <laughs> so up until very recently, I felt guilty about it because it's so not normal, but it really does work for me and I love it. I used to have a very similar schedule, especially earlier on when the company I worked for was small. I, I would tell people, they're like, well, I don't show up at the office until about 1030, but I leave by three. And so I would have these really short days in the office, but then I would go run carpools for the older kid and then get the, the younger one in bed. And what it worked out to is I just had this segment where I had to stop mid-afternoon go take care of kids until they were in bed. And then I would just get back on and work a few more hours. And it really worked well for me because I had uninterrupted heads down time to to write code in the evenings. And I didn't during the day. But yeah, it made it seem like I only came into the office for a few hours and then bailed. I actually do a lot of the same kind of stuff. And it was really after talking with you, Chris, that I felt better about doing this. (laughs) Oh, no way. (laughs) Yeah, no, because I take my son to school in the morning and then I show up in the office. It's usually 9.30 to 5. And I I leave hard stop at 5 every day. And our office culture here usually goes until 6. And so people are like, where are you going? But I go and I pick him up and then he gets to bed at 7. And then often I'll work another 2 to 4 hours in the evening. And that's great for me personally, because I can then have uninterrupted, like focusing time to get things done. Having you describe that to me, Chris, actually made me have a much easier time like explaining this to other people. It's like, no, 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 I'm dealing with my kid. I'm having a great time with him. This is really sacred space for me to have that family time. And then I can get back on and, and do work. And that, that comes and goes with the company, but it's a, yeah. it's a really good structure. And, and having the flexibility to do that is great. I, I remember my dad told me that once you have cell phones and computers and everything, that you can work 
anywhere. So they expect you to work everywhere. And then now that I've kind of gotten older and reflected on it, actually, no, it's I get to work when and where I want to. And that's way better. <laughs> yeah, for me, I guess part of the guilt feeling is the fact that I get up with her and then go back to bed. But it's like, I need those four hours or I can't function. And it's just so uninterrupted me time. I realize I could probably be going to the gym or doing extra work. But for me, I need it. I think there's a big aspect around that to me for self-care where treating yourself with respect and kindness, which other people have various priorities. You do you and like you do what works for you kind of thing and acknowledging and following through with, yes, this is what I need most right now. And I deserve to go forward with that, even if it's not what a lot of the folks around me expect, or it's, it's not the same as their habits in some way. And I think that there's a big aspect of that, which is self-respect to me. That's close, like corollary to something that uh, my wife Kelly and I talk about, which is we make the decisions that are good for the family. And often outsiders looking in or what we think that people would perceive would be decisions that seem like we're not helping the kids out or mm. or we're doing other things. But often it's like, well, you know what? For the good of the family, you need to skip practice because it's mm -hmm. making everyone's uh, schedule complicated. We're rushing to get home from work and we're exhausted and tired and all of these things. So sometimes we need to make the decision when we step back, it's actually better for the family. And that can mean a lot of different things, but no, this is what I need. And that's that's important. Yeah, I like that framing because I do feel like just as a broad generalization in the U.S. at least, I do feel like we tend to have a culture of once you have kids, if your kids are not your one and only priority, then that means you are a bad parent in some way. But when you are talking about it as though, oh, what is best for the family that obviously includes your kids, but like it includes the adults and the parents as well. Absolutely. Everyone has inherent dignity and their needs should be met as well. And it's like collective that you're all working towards. Yeah. Yes. I felt guilty sometimes about, you know, I'm a half-time parent because you know, I split custody between myself and my ex. And I really love it. I mean, like, I love the time that I have with my son and I love the time that I have without him because I can, you know, recharge and be a better person. And I feel almost kind of guilty about that. And I feel in some ways very privileged uh, about having like a really fantastic co-parent that I'm not fighting with and yet can kind of split this responsibility. But it's such a strange thing because like society really expects us to have like nuclear families with both parents deeply engaging 100% of their time in their children. And I just feels very strange for that. Oh my gosh. Like when I get to go away to like a conference those are my times. Like I just got back from RubyConf and I stayed an extra three or four days there and it was so great. And I went on a date. I met family members that I never met before and it was so great. I'm going to probably see this person again in April and maybe again in July or August. But it was so eye-opening that I could go and I could have like these trips and be an adult and then go home and be totally fine going back into mom mode. 
Yeah, like I, I definitely felt before I split, like I felt like I was just being 100% parent. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like I'm a person who also has this amazing kid and I love to share things with him. And that's beautiful and wonderful, but I'm, I'm a whole person. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have this thing as well about that. I think after being on maternity leave for a really solid amount of time, which I'm very grateful for. But it also kind of confirmed for me that I don't think I am much of a caretaker type. And that I think that that is separate from my identity as a parent in a way, which is like based on family that came and helped us out and other people I've observed. I just feel like I see other people that they really get a lot more for themselves out of the time and energy they might spend trying to do all the labor and time related to physical caregiving for another individual. Like they really feel rewarded by that. And for me, it's much more secondary effects in terms of it's important to me to feel like I'm fulfilling my responsibilities to other people. So, you know, caregiving is obviously a really important one of those things. But if I can choose, which we do, like since uh, we, we both work full time, you know, to have someone else do the majority of the physical labor part. And there's much more parenting on top of the the physical labor bit. And I feel like that really counts as well. But we have this thing where we or expect maybe people to judge just based on hours of time put in, much like a job where it's just about like how how many hours you're at the office versus the impact of what you're getting done, perhaps. I love that. Yeah, that's huge. Because like the job of being a parent isn't to just devote all of your time. The job of the parent of being a parent is to, I don't know, help another human come into the world and share all that that is. And that can take a million different kind of forms. Yeah, I had a big, long conversation with one of my friends prior to having Nico, where I was asking her a little bit about like she'd always talked about how her and her siblings, she just felt like they had like the perfect childhood. Like her mom was such a good mom. And I was curious whether she felt like that would be a barrier for herself to becoming a parent someday, just because like, you know, sort of like her mom had set this amazing bar for, for themselves. And she gave me the really great insight of like, well, we would have different strengths as parents. Like there is no one way to be an excellent parent. And again, like kind of tying the analogy to how you might be in your work career of some kind, everyone has different strengths and you can have like really valuable efforts out of that. And so she was sort of like, she's at peace with it because she won't be the same kind of parent that her mom was. She's going to use her other strengths and skills, much like in other areas where she has learned and developed skills that are unique to her versus her own mom. And I think about that a lot in terms of what are my strengths for things that aren't parenting and how do I apply those to parenting? So like, (laughs) I'm really good at researching things on the internet. (laughs) And that's, (laughs) that's a thing that I certainly apply to parenting constantly, right? Yeah. yeah. I had a conversation with my best friend actually last night. She is kind of on the verge of becoming a single mom, but she's not sure. We've been friends since third grade. I was like, what if we seriously like got a house together? Like we bought a house together and I'll have my daughter, you have your daughter, we live together. 
we're not a couple. And we were like, oh my God, this would be great. We could have a glass of wine together every night and go to bed. And she loves to do activities. She wants to take a daughter to soccer and gymnastics. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't stand that stuff. I cannot do it. And she's, oh, I would take Maisie and, okay, you do that. And I will cook and I will clean because she hates to cook. She hates to clean. Why are we not doing this? It's not a nuclear family at all. But first of all, it would save us a lot of money. And yeah, the, the scaling effects there for sure, right? But you have different strengths as parents. She's like, I'll make cookies and gingerbread houses. And I'm, oh my God. <laughs> well, and that works even for not as intimate of a group, but things like carpools mm-hmm. and other network kind of social infrastructure, getting that into place makes a massive difference in the quality of life. All right, well, this family does drop off and we'll do pickup. Like suddenly my day is is wide open, you know, at least that's how it feels. And being able to have that affords us a little bit more time and uh, looking for those little either optimizations or divvying up of the work. It makes such a big difference. I would love yeah. to get that set up. I really have to find that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely something that as the kids get older, it gets easier, mostly because you've had longer to work on that network. <laughs> and then the type of care and help that they need evolves over time. And so I think that makes a big difference. Right now, your son is very young, whereas my kid's got a phone. You're fine. Call me if you need someone to pick you up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> my daughter texted me this morning while I went back to bed. She goes, don't forget to pick me up for my after school program. You know, what i got this but thanks (laughs) there's a reason why we send calendar invites to like our family (laughs) that's funny i've been a huge fan of this idea of intentional community lately which is i don't know maybe maybe i'm like a hippie at heart or something but like this idea of like living near people who share the same kind of like yeah it's such a beautiful thing and you can like share all of these things that we end up picking up on our own because we feel like we have to But yeah, so back to self-care, we talked about not feeling guilty, some of the stuff we can do. Not everybody is privileged to be able to go out to the spa and spend money to go fly to LA and tour the Hollywood Hills. But for me, I love to just be in my house. I love it. I've staged my house to be my sanctuary. There are decorations and artifacts that have been in my family over years that if I just glance at it, it makes me happy. There's just the furniture I've chosen was very deliberate and it's cozy and warm and my couch is big and soft. So just kind of setting my environment up and then I get meal delivery. I still cook, but the groceries come to me. Okay, that's great. I like to play the game sometimes. How long can I go without leaving my house? And some people see that as being very isolating or maybe, was she depressed? She never leaves the house. But for me, I just just rather be here. I'd rather be here. Yeah, have you gone out? It's very peopley out there. I don't like it. <laughs> like, I went Christmas shopping. No, not even Christmas shopping. My daughter needed a dress for the chorus concert. And it was, of course, I found out after it was too late to have one primed. So we had to go to an actual store and I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. This is so bad. This is, please can go home. Can I... <laughs> well, plus you're talking to all these people on the internet. I mean, like, that helps. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So like, I mean, I love my internet community and I love going down and seeing you all in different places for days at a time. But then it's like, when I come home, I just want to be home. 
there's this amazing sweatshirt that I saw. I don't know if it would be your style, Mandy, but I've been thinking about getting it for myself at some point, which says indoorsy on the front. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, since I would love to have this and just wear it when I'm silent and protesting, having to be out in public without all these outdoorsy people. <laughs> like I am an indoorsy person yes. and I, I am okay with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like to go out sometimes it's just right. I'd rather when I'm not out or, or, or traveling for work I just want to be at my house I think it's really interesting while you were talking about that Mandy I was thinking about how some of the ways that I can really create space for myself are and just going to recharge two things that worked well for me are like meditating and like just going home for a walk outside and I was just thinking about when's the last time I actually did one of those things I don't remember <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I've been really trying to develop a meditation habit these last few months. And it's been something that I struggled with over the years, always feeling like, oh, am I doing this right? That I'm having to confront the butterflies or other anxiety I'm feeling like, uh, like this is not fun. And the way that I've kept it up these last few months is it only has to be for a few minutes, ideally daily, even one to three minutes would be fine. And I let myself meditate while just lying down. So at a very minimum, I'm like, okay, I can just lie down by myself for a couple minutes. No one needs anything from me. I can always wait for at least three minutes, right? And like that actually feels good afterwards. And I'm trying to keep that up to help with focus and other things in general. I've been trying to do the same thing. I'm really bad at meditating. My mind just goes a mile a minute. And I try to do it in the bathtub. Like I put my my ears under the water, which kind of helps drown out some of that noise. <laughs> the screams. <laughs> well, <laughs> the cats fighting. Yeah, that. No. <laughs> And I close my eyes because usually um, there's like three of them staring at me on the sink. So, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so yeah. I don't see why you can't relax. I know. <laughs> totally. I'm so relaxed. You have no idea how relaxed I am, everyone. But yeah, just like letting the water kind of go in my ears and kind of just feeling the warmth and closing my eyes. And then, okay, now I can get back up again. <laughs> Jess, if you have more experience with meditation, I'm sure you've heard similar things before, but it was a revelation to me. If your mind drifts from focusing on your breathing or whatever it is you're trying to direct it towards, that is, don't see that as failure in your meditation, even trying to see that as, oh, okay, well, this is an opportunity to practice bringing it back to the overall intention that I had set for this particular practice or something. I'm like, oh, that's like such a nice, positive way to look at it and not each time struggle with feeling like, well, now I'm just spending like minutes feeling like a failure. Oh yeah, totally. And I'm, I'm far from an expert, but it definitely helps me a lot to think about. It's a call to practice because you have to practice getting to that place. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think about that a lot. So I was trying to think of other specific self-care suggestions and the three minute meditation kind of made me realize that something that I've been not as deliberate about, but trying to do as far as like routine. And one thing that I've was I've been making a habit more is in the morning, getting up, making coffee, and then uh, taking the coffee out back and playing with the dog. And I've actually found that to be 
a great way to kind of get things going. I think the kids view playing with the dog as a chore. So ain't nobody coming out back to bother me because otherwise they'd have a chore. (laughs) But I can go out there and have a cup of coffee and play with the dog for a little while and not really get interrupted or distracted. Typically don't have a computer or a phone with me. So I'm not getting pinged. And it's pretty early. So that's been a pretty good one. Does anybody else have specifics? comment that I feel like it is really important overall, maybe as another definition for self-care, essentially activities that you are doing for yourself because you want to and not activities you're doing because someone else wants you to, or because you feel like you need to, or have to in some way to take a break from all these things that you feel like you have to um, and doing something that is like somewhat optional but it's not really optional to have examples of this category of doing it because you want to because it feels good yeah i love that cooking i kind of feel like is a self-care thing for me i really love to cook mm, but same. it's also something that i kind of have to do but i guess i don't know for some reason i just really find it Maybe it's the way that I don't have to do all of the, the stuff that I do with it, maybe. I don't know, but I think it's it's beautiful, too. I love the fact, like I said, I get my groceries delivered, and I really do like to cook. I like to pick out the recipes weeks in advance, and then I'm, like, looking forward to it. And then every night around 5.30, 6 o'clock at the latest, I just go and I make our, our meal, and I turn on the news, uh, which, yeah, maybe not such a great idea. But um, <laughs> but that's how I keep up with what's going on outside my house. So, but yeah, cooking and just doing the ingredients thing. Now, you know I had a bad day if I just say, Maisie, what kind of soup do you want? Because that Campbell's can of soup comes out, that's when you know I had a bad day. And I think there is an act, even though we have to eat, but you can certainly be eating things that you haven't cooked yourself. And you could also be filling that time you'd be using for cooking with some other activity that you felt like was needed, I don't know, for enrichment or other social obligations or whatever else. And if you can kind of design your lifestyle to protect that time that you use for cooking instead or whatever time and energy you're spending to prepare to make that moment available to you, I feel like that all self-care to me as well. I feel like it's a a routine in that maybe a routine and self-care kind of correlate a little bit in the fact that it makes you feel better if you stick to a routine kind of thing. So like I said, I go out there, I pour myself a glass of wine and I start to cook. Then we eat and then I go back out and I clean up and then we, we begin the other bath time homework reading kind of thing until she goes to bed. Another thing I do for self-care is For me, I really have to have a creative outlet. And so lately that's been, I've been playing open mics. Got videos on my Instagram if you really want to see it. Uh, So so, good, so good, by the way. So good. (laughs) Thank you. I saw one last night and I was like, oh my God. Go Jess. (laughs) I have to make time to practice. And sometimes that occurs when I'm with my son. And it's funny because sometimes he's, oh yeah, play that song. And a lot of the other times he's like, that's enough music. No more music. (laughs) (laughs) You need to cut out that racket. (laughs) (laughs) Just get some peace and quiet around here, Mom. That's right. That's right. So like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to finish this song, and then I'll be quiet and we can play. And I don't know. I feel a little bit guilty sometimes about saying that, but I don't know. I have to create that space for myself. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. Well, I do that with work. I'll be editing my podcast. I don't really like to wear headphones, and I've gotten so good at it that I don't really need to. And she'll be like, can you please put headphones on so I don't have to listen to those people? (laughs) 
she like starts to know like who you all are. <laughs> She's oh, I know that person. And I'm like, just let me finish and then we'll go do something. Like chill out. Hey, we love you. <laughs> There is an asset. So these uh, these couple stories from you, Jess and Mandy, uh, remind me of a point I wanted to make, which is to me that I think there's a big part of the mindset of being a parent, which hopefully I can say this well and it doesn't sound horrible, but basically like being okay with your kids' temporary unhappiness or discomfort, yes. essentially, not being responsible and not taking it on as a goal that they are totally happy and content like every moment of their lives. I mean, I feel very deeply biologically and early urge to try to go for that. And I understand why that might have survived evolution over the years and whatnot. But I think that's not healthy for them or for me or for the family to be setting that as a goal and being okay with them protesting some decision that I've made for a little bit, I think is a really key thing to enabling self-care. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I can't agree more. Like, Just so much. Yeah. Yeah. That goes right back to the what's important for the family. This is bigger than you and it matters. Yeah. It's like boredom breeds creativity, right? <laughs> It does. Well, and so this, this is a segue then for me to lead into the concept that always wanting to evangelize more because I never occurred to me before becoming a parent. And then once I read about it, I feel like this is really revolutionary. It's the idea of this thing called a yes space. Happy to include a link in the sh- show notes eventually for a broader description. But basically, it's the idea, especially for young children, of having spaces for them that are completely safe and childproof to the extent that if you were to leave, get locked out of the house and couldn't get back in, you wouldn't immediately start panicking. Like they would be totally fine in their room with the gate up, or we have a playpen in the living room as well. Like he will be totally fine in there. And having that available frees you to go to the bathroom by yourself (laughs) physically from like a safety perspective, right? And we try to do a thing often of encouraging independent play in these areas, but it's not always fun in the short term. And we try to take an attitude. I I read a lot of Janet Lansbury's articles and the whole RAE kind of stuff, but trying to take the attitude of, you know, like he's entitled to protest feeling bored right now, or like he's entitled to express his feelings that he would prefer to have company right now. That is fine. I accept that. And also I'm going to go to the bathroom or like unload the dishwasher because that's like what I feel like needs to be done next. And I am respecting my decision and agency on that front. And it will be okay. He is happy. His needs are well provided for. We are there for him emotionally, etc. And getting into the habit of that for all of us, I think is super, super helpful. It wasn't easy to get there, especially those first few months postpartum, just listening to him cry, like really, really hurt inside really deeply. But I think as we all get used to it, I think it's really good for all of us to have a setup like that. Yeah, it took me a while to get used to hearing my son cry and not take action mm-hmm. about that. But I think now that I've gotten better at that, it's easier for me to ignore a tantrum <laughs> mm-hmm. and not respond to it, not react. Because like, I feel at least that reacting to that and responding to a tantrum is just creating his intention to do it more in the future. And so now I'm like, no, you're going to cry and have a tantrum. Oh, go do it. I'm fine over here. <laughs> you know? You're still going to be there. You still love him no matter what. He's choosing to express himself as long as he's not hurting himself or others or damaging property. Just write it out and then it'll be fine, right? Exactly. Yeah. 
So it seems like we're winding down, so let's move into our genius and fail moments. This is the point in the show where we share something that we are either particularly proud of that we have accomplished as parents or that our kid has accomplished as a child or something that we just completely bombed in the past few days or weeks or months or even years. So, <laughs> Kay Wu, why don't you go first? I would like to announce that this week is the first time that I'm pretty confident my son has identified me and only me as mama. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. After 15 and a half months, Dada was achieved like several months ago, I think at this point, uh, for just hypothetically, if anyone were keeping score. And for quite a while there, it seemed mama was the phrase used to express, I'm dissatisfied with the current situation. And there is something that I want that you are not giving me. But I think we have moved on to, oh, mama is a label for that specific person. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Oh, congratulations. It seems like such a long time ago. <laughs> like, I kind of remember that. That's awesome. Chris, how about you? Yeah, I have one. So I actually asked my daughter, hey, what should I say for a genius or fail? <laughs> and her uncle is like, it's a trap. Don't answer. <laughs> And then she had a couple of comebacks and we kind of like verbally sparred some. And I eventually landed on my genius moment, which I think if you ask certain members of my family would uh, vehemently say is a fail, was uh, teaching my children sarcasm. And damn, they are good at the sarcasm. And it's... <laughs> And with Kelly and I's sense of humor, it is amazing. And I love that they've turned into these people that have wit and thoughts of their own and can throw these very nuanced jabs back and forth. And we can joke around and use sarcasm. So, yeah, I'm sticking to it. Jess? I don't think I shared this one last time. So we have Google Homes in the house and all listening Google. My son has previously realized that he's like, oh, play this on the Google or, or do this on the Google. And he like would ask us to use the Google to do stuff. But recently he's gotten to the point where he can actually pronounce OK Google clearly enough to say things. He'll say, OK, Google, tell me a joke. And <laughs> he loves that. He just like says that for like, 20 or 50 times in a row. He'll be like, okay, Google, tell me another joke. And he just keeps, he just laughs and and it just has a great time. So self-entertaining children. I mean, that's always a genius, yeah. right? Yes. <laughs> that's <Absolutely. a> genius. <laughs> well, for myself, like I said, I guess I missed the paperwork to be able to prime a course outfit to my house so I didn't have to go to the store. So that was kind of a fail, but the concert itself was so great. It was her first chorus concert and she was so nervous. Like it was so cute how nervous she was. And I was, do you have to sing by yourself? Like, why are you so nervous? But like to her she was like take it really super seriously and it was so cute but it ended up like I'm used to going to those things alone my best friend and my dad and my stepmom all surprised me and came with me and so it was one of those things where I was like oh my god I'm not doing this alone and there are people that actually do care and it was so great seeing her walk out onto the stage and I could tell when she saw me she wasn't allowed to wave nobody was allowed to wave but I could wave to her and I saw the moment moment that her eyes registered that she saw me a little sparkle and I was just like so proud of so it was so cute 
So thanks so much for listening to Parent Driven Development Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions you'd like us to chat about on air, you can email us at panel at parentdrivendevelopment.com or find us on Twitter at parentdrivendev. If you like what you hear, please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash parentdrivendev or rate us on iTunes. It really does help. Thank you so much.